Open up the dialogue, we about to clear this mental fog Raising a society that only wants the epilogue There's so much in the middle, how do we deal with emotions? Even when it feels like we're drowning in an ocean We spool each other rotten, our owners are forgotten All aboard the train of Asia, thoughts is not stopping We all have memories, they may feel like enemies We wouldn't be human without a struggle with identity Suppression is expected, depression is rejected Within my own mind, I find it hard to be accepted Screw this just world, gotta find my own meaning It ain't too appealing to have these fights with our feelings Welcome back to the Fight With Our Feelings, a podcast where me, Caitlin Baldwin, a registered psychotherapist, talks about life and feelings and struggles and the hard, crunchy bits that we all go through. And I have my uh, previous colleague and friend, Natalie Fougere. Fougere? Fougere. Yeah, you got it. Fougere. Okay. Natalie Fougere with me. So hello, Natalie. Welcome. Hey folks, hello listeners. It's going to be nice talking to you imaginarily for the next half hour or so. Exactly. Yeah. Just imagine that there's like 20 yeah. people sitting in front yeah. of you. <laughs> <laughs> so I'm uh, I'm super grateful that you were willing to come on here. And so for the listeners, I, I worked with Natalie previously and I trained you, which I feel very like you hold us. Oh up my goodness. My yes. Way to point that out. <laughs> I was thinking about that this morning. So I was like, oh, like there's there's still this like motherly part of me that's, like wants to protect you like this little yeah. baby bird. <laughs> I guess the yeah. Um, but so we like when we worked together, we were working as individual counselors. So the, kind of the same work that I do now, just in a different type of setting. And then our friendship was tragically split up <laughs> because <laughs> you decided to to leave that type of work because it wasn't for you. And for me, I was like, I remember you talking to me about it initially and I was like partially heartbroken, but also like, shit, man. Yeah. If this is something that you don't, that doesn't fit for you, like, okay. So do you want to talk a bit about that choice for you? Yeah. I remember you started training me in an, in August, 2019. And then it took me until about November, 2019. So about two years ago this month. For me to yeah. come into your office crying, being like, this is too goddamn much. Like, I, yeah. I, I do not like this. Remember when you were working over at the residential? Yeah. And then I, you know, sussed it out from November until the following August. Because I had never gotten a paycheck like that before. Yeah. Right? Yeah, I'd never gotten a paycheck I was, like that before. I was thinking about that where, like, such a big part of that decision was also, like, you're leaving this security of, of like, a salary job with, you know, that like we weren't paid much, but like with benefits and stuff like that. Yeah. I was coming from factory work. Right. So it was, it was, oh my goodness, the benefits I paid for me and my partner to go to Jamaica single-handedly on what St. Leonard's was, was paying me. Like it was, it was smoke show and uh, a position actually opened up at my partner's company that, um, that he owns. And I decided not to take it because St. Leonard's was so stable at the time. And then the pandemic had hit and I just remember crying every day throughout May, 2020, like during my job, because I was working from home. They were monitoring our time. The client's needs were drastically exacerbated. And, um, I, and I didn't enjoy the work. And one of the days I was hanging out, I was just doing like a zoom chat with the, the art therapist on the staff. And she said, you know, with this work, you really have to like, enjoy it. 
And like, I think about her saying that regularly because it's like, holy smokes, I do not enjoy this. And I'm gritting my teeth morning, noon and night. And I didn't know if it was, you know, like my own mental unwellness, like maybe I'm not stable enough to be taking on this stuff for others. Yeah. Um, But it essentially got to the point where I, I was waking up in the morning and I knew that I had to meet with five people who were going to like need me to be emotional support. And it's like, whoa, like this is not for me. And I, remember, I, knew I feel like we had some, like some text conversations where, cause at that, when did I step back a bit? At that point I'd step back a bit because I was in my practicum. Um, cause I started that in May. Yeah. 2020. Yeah. No, it was 2020 because it was in the pandemic. And I I think there were like one or two times where we were texting in the morning and it was just like, man, like I can't, I can't bring myself to do this. And and that was me coming from a place where like, I love, I love the one-on-one work. Like it's my, it's my gig. It's my favorite shit to do ever. And I was like, I can't (laughs) do this. So for you to not even enjoy that, I, yeah, I can't imagine what I was like for you. And I was sitting in staff meetings at St. Leonard's just w- amongst these incredible superheroes who were just gobbling this psychotherapy shit right up. And I was like, fuck, like, I so disagree. Like, I fucking hate this. And um, I knew that in school. So I come from, yeah. I have a diploma in social service work and I have a degree in social work. And yeah. I knew that working with individuals was not going to be my forte. And I really just think it's because I'm not a morning person. I'm also not an evening person. I'm not, I'm not, I'm not a person. I'm just like, I just, and then it's like, am I not a people person? Because I really don't like having yeah. to hear people's shit day in, day out. I yeah. knew that in university, but I took the first job that was offered to me upon graduation. And to be honest with a social work education, I was not equipped to go into individual counseling. I don't know how the other social workers on the staff were doing it. Because I had maybe one, one class about CBT and the rest of it was me being thrown into this position with extremely complex cases because you were the real deal. And I was taking your caseload and it's like, holy shit, like something went wrong here. Um, Yeah, it's, it's tough because like there's, there's so a lot of like clients sometimes are like prospective clients, they'll call me and they'll be like, you know, I'm looking at different, like psychotherapists versus social workers and what's the difference and it is really tough because like education wise the the stuff that you learn is is very very different right a social work degree you are learning a lot more about like that broad level macro stuff about you know systems about social justice about like large-scale change and it's about why they how they found themselves in front of you yeah now that you're in front of me i do not know what to do yeah, versus, you know, even though like the, uh, I was going to talk shit about my program, but I'm not going to do that. But like, you, even though like there are, there are like gripes and issues with like individual, um, like master's programs around counseling, around psychotherapy as well. For sure. For um, sure. But, but the focus of that is, is on individual therapy, right? Yes. Like that's, that's what we learn about completely. Yep. So like, you're coming what... into a different place. I learned what DBT was on the job. That is yeah. unacceptable. It's borderline dangerous, you know? Um, and I, I don't blame St. Leonard's. Holy smokes, I am so thankful for them. And oh, the staff is amazing. Yeah. But uh, yeah, no. And then so it got to the point where, okay, the pandemic's happening. 
I turned 25 during the pandemic. And if folks are listening to this who are older than 25, you're just going to eye roll. But when I turned 25, right. Yeah. But for for listeners, maybe who are like 32, they're going to tell me to go fuck myself. But (laughs) when I turned 25, I got real philosophical and it was during the pandemic. And I said, I don't want to live like this. I I kind of, I decided a while ago, I don't want to have kids. So I better have a booming career. And it's like, shit, I don't even want a booming career either. I just want to be happy with Adam. And Adam is my partner. We yeah. fiance. Caitlin, I don't know if you know that. Oh, yeah, I didn't mean to. Yeah. <laughs> we'll talk oh, about that's that so, Okay, that's so exciting. Congrats. Yeah. And so <laughs> I, one day, just having a total meltdown, I sent my supervisor in my two weeks without giving any, like, explanation. It was a yeah. day that I called in because I just couldn't do it. And two weeks later, like the week of my birthday, exactly one year after I started at St. Leonard's, I was out and I did not have a plan. I had a certain amount of money that I could have taken to survive. I gave myself two months to find new work. Um, And I did not have a plan at all. It was a global pandemic. It was, it was messy. And uh, I don't know if you want to get me to get into the, the second half of uh, I don't know. Cause like, so I, I'd like to spend a few more yeah. minutes on the messiness just because okay. like, to me, so it, it was like, again, when you brought that to me, it, I think it was still when I was like, when I was in the residential program. So I was working in a, in a different yeah. section than Natalie was, and we weren't seeing each other, um, every day, the way that we used to. And yeah. you came to me. And, and so again, there was that part of me that was like a little bit heartbroken. Cause I, I, I wanted to keep working with you and like, you know, and there, and there was that special place of like, oh, but I, but I brought you up. And, <laughs> <laughs> and but, you said, did, did I do this to you? Like, did I put this level of expectation on you? And I was like, holy smokes, no. Yeah. Yeah. And, but I mean, the, the amount of courage that it took and that it takes in general to, you know, th- this is also me like coming from kind of my I don't want to say like my background of poverty, but like my mom has been like very, very low income for my entire life. Like I've seen the financial struggle. Like, so financial security is like super high on my priority list. And so hearing that, I was just like, man, that takes so much courage to actually say like, yeah, I am going to leave this, this level of stability, which, you know, every single boomer in the world would be like, (laughs) don't ever leave that. (laughs) because I am, because I am unhappy and unfulfilled. And like, that is just such an amazing, an amazing thing. And so, yeah, like, I I don't know if you can speak to like the messiness of it, but it it was just so inspiring for me to see that. Yeah. And I am like a, like social work values through and through, like I am a feminist. So when you're talking about like the poverty that your mom came through, like those facts are not lost on me. Like it was extraordinary privilege that I was able to leave that position and yeah. it was because my partner has an income where he's able to cover the bills. I mean, that's it. There was yeah. not an extra lick for anything else. Yeah. Um, but I was leaning on him and, and that, the privilege that comes with that. But also as a feminist, I mean, Adam is Adam. Adam is the best person in the world. But philosophically, theoretically, yeah. I am now an unemployed woman. Yeah, which creates its own struggle. From a man's, you know, paycheck. And then that's playing in my mind, even though it's only Adam. But it's, it was playing in my mind heavy. And I gave myself two months to find work. So I should have been back to work in October, 2020. Yeah. I did not find work until August, 2021. Yeah. Yeah. So I was unemployed for more than a year. What? I had yeah. no idea. Yeah. Um, 
because what was happening was I was trying to find more social work jobs. I was trying to find, I was only being given interviews for what my resume called for. Right. So other addiction positions, I even took on a job in Kitchener as an addictions counselor. I worked one day for them. And I said, I'm so sorry, I can't do this. This was a huge, I am so sorry for all the work you put into onboarding me but I can't do this. And that, yeah. that was in December of 2020. And I said, okay, that's, that's it for me and in individual social work. Like that's it. That's it. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and you know, like uh, some, some context as well for the people listening to this, like when in, in that type of position, so like addictions counseling or mm-hmm. like addictions to mental health counseling, it, you're working with people with like the highest complexity of oh trauma And, you know, and we're also told like, well, you can't, you can't do like trauma specific work where like you're, you're, you know, reprocessing those, those memories and stuff. Mm -hmm. You can do like stuff around it and around the impacts of it. But then you're also working with people who are continuing to face ongoing trauma with housing insecurity and food insecurity and, you know, ongoing like abusive relationships and all of these factors where it's like, we can psychotherapy the shit out of this, but that's not going to do anything for the oh. situations that you're in. Listeners, and, I wish you could see my hand signals right now. Caitlin uh, is on the money. It is. And, and that was the most heartbreaking. Like that it's frankly, it's a huge reason why I'm in private practice now, because I was like, I can't do this work. Yeah. I, I cannot do the work that I really love to do when I am just working with people who the system has failed over and over and over again and the system continues to beat down so i I can't i can't do anything here and like i i i wish and i'm so grateful that there are people like you that that enjoy that macro level work Mm -hmm. because i can't like that's that's (laughs) not that's not me and but i also know that like for so many people i can't do the work that i love to do until that macro stuff Mm -hmm. is done unless there are people like you that want to do that exactly and so yeah st leonard's didn't let us do trauma work but the other hand was that i desperately did not want to do trauma work i was keeping my clients like an arm's length away from me right that's so inappropriate and dangerous and no you 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 need to stop saying dangerous like so because it's one thing if you were keeping an arm's length and being like you know, go fuck yourself, client. Like, <laughs> I'm not going to deal with you. What you're saying is you're recognizing your, your scope, your competency, yes. and you're saying, okay, yeah. I can support you in this realm, but I cannot support you in that. Yeah. And that's not dangerous. That's, that's the opposite of dangerous. That's being as ethical as you can yeah. in your work. And these clients, extraordinarily complex needs, and they yeah. didn't want to fuck with me. And I didn't <laughs> want to fuck with them. Yeah. And to sit down and these guys, you know, they're just coming down from their high and I'm supposed to do CBT and you don't know where you're sleeping tonight. <laughs> just what a joke. But then yeah. I had supervisors above me being like, what's the goal plan? What's, what's the, the goal plan? Yeah. How what's is the goal plan going? You know, how are, are they, they how are they progressing? Yeah, yeah. They've been with us for eight months. Like I had, I had clients that I, you know, so, so in the not-for-profit sector, because there's such a high demand of needs the it's it's so unfortunate but it ends up just being this revolving door of trying to get people in get people out get people in get people out and i had clients on my caseload for i worked there for two and a half years and i had them you know aside from that blip where i i worked in the residential side i had them for pretty much the full two years yeah and you know my supervisors would be like 
Hey, what are you doing? Like, why are they still on here? I'm like, they have, what do you mean? They have very complex needs. I'm like, <laughs> I'm not going to try and rush them out because they're not done yet. Yeah. Like they still need these services and, and like, and that was always my biggest fear is that a supervisor was going to say, what are you actually working on with this client? Because yeah. I always felt like nothing. I'm doing checking calls. Like it was just yeah. so debilitating to not enjoy my work and to feel like I was really, really bad at the work. Yeah. So I I would like to hear now about like the work that you're currently doing and, and like hopefully get to see that kind of light in your eyes of yeah. <laughs> doing something that you actually enjoy now. So during the dark year, that's what I'm calling 2020, the, the early <laughs> half of 2021, when I was yeah. unemployed for a year of my life as I made yeah. 20. Um, it was the dark year. And so with St. Leonard's, I was, I preach about like queer politics and stuff in my interviews. And then supervisors kind of see me as the queer person. I do identify as bisexual. And so they put me on the bridge committee as the St. Leonard's representative. The bridge committee is a grassroots group. Uh, based out of Brantford, Ontario. It's a collective of professionals, community members um, that sit around a table and kind of, you know, discuss events and things like that to kind of clear up the Brantford space and, uh, you know, address instances of discrimination and things like that. It's just a grassroots collective. Out of that grassroots collective, they have a safer spaces program. So that's their LGBTQ inclusion training program. It's a program within the bridge. Yeah, the, the bridge had went ahead and did a grant proposal to wage, which is women and gender equity, with the federal um, department, and oh, okay. they got, they got twenty five thousand dollars from the federal government to incorporate the bridge. Nice. So after I left St. Leonard's, I emailed the bridge and I said, "Hey, this really aligns with like my passions. Let's see what we can do here. I want to keep volunteering with you folks." I yeah. told them I was unemployed, so I had tons of time. Um, they hit me up and they said, Hey, we have this grant subcommittee that we're putting together to incorporate the bridge. Do you want to sit on it? And I said, hell yeah. Okay. I got time and y'all need my help. Let's do it. Um, so I was working with like five incredible people, uh, with regards to the incorporation process. Now I'll back it up and say that this is the work that I knew that I wanted to do in school. Like I knew I wanted yeah. to do like the community level work. <clears throat> I would say that the macro level is like government. Um, yeah. I, did, I did consider going into government for like a minute at 22. And then I said, absolutely fuck that. Um, <laughs> like, I don't want to care to go to work that much. And like, then I want to be a politician. What a joke. Yeah. So I knew that I wanted to do a community level of work because I feel like I had more of my hand in the pot rather than dealing with someone who's been so fucked by the system and then there's nothing I can do about it. I yeah. wanted to have a hand in changing a little bit of that system. And if I'm not working at a system level, then I'd rather change, work with the community to change the communal mind, to change the culture. And yeah. I like I get, like, it's not, it's not full macro, like you said, like this, you know, uh, provincial or like federal work. government, but yeah. it's, it's still, yeah, you're, you're still affecting change in a broader yeah area as opposed to like you said kind of having this like hopelessness of yeah. um of working with a single individual that has been screwed over and over yeah. by the the flaws in the system that yeah in social work the the gap between micro and macro is meso so i'm doing like the meso community yeah work. Yeah. yeah and in one of my first classes in like social work college for my ssw they told a story that you know back in the day it was fake 
back in the day, uh, people noticed these babies coming down the river and it's like, holy smokes, there's a baby in the river. Let's grab the baby from the river. And then people were really trying to get the babies out of the river. And then someone said, well, hold on, let's go up the river and see why the babies are coming down the river, right? Let's try, let's see what's going on here from a larger perspective. And that stuck with me because I knew I did not want to be the person pulling the baby out of the water. I would have liked to take a walk upstream and see what's going on here to see what kind of change we can affect before there are children in water. That's such a good metaphor because like you're saying that and I'm like, yes, I want to take that baby out of the water. <laughs> that, like as soon as you said that, I'm like, oh yes, that's, that's what where an I interesting, am. That's such an interesting like personality test. Yeah. Oh yeah. my gosh. That's so funny. But yeah, like you're exactly right. You know, like there's, I think like one ongoing piece of frustration that I continue to experience less so than when I was working in not-for-profit, but like people will kind of still just have this level of questioning of like, not even questioning They're They're just, it, it's still the ongoing stigma around like, well, you know, this person has issues. So let them sort it out. Right. Instead of being like, well, what, what culminated into these issues that they're experiencing right and like and i see that so often with parents where like i will get parents come in and like bring their kids in so i I, like the majority of people that i work with are adults but i have um quite a few you know young young teens um to like kids and they're like here (laughs) you know he's got this i'm like yeah well like yeah (laughs) what does the home environment look like Family right like theory exactly yeah. <laughs> like how how are you guys interacting with them and and there's just this this kind of like overall lack of questioning and lack of curiosity around yeah. where these issues are stemming from and and obviously that happens in at a community level at you know every different level is it's just yeah. like like some i i know that you'll probably share this level of frustration and, and i don't want to bring myself too far down it but like you know, stuff as simple as like housing, <laughs> like the oh, amount of money that's spent on police officers going to deal with, you know. Are you seeing what's happening in Hamilton this week? No. Oh, it has hit a maximum crisis. Like the police are violently dragging protesters away from these encampments as uh, they tear down the encampments. Listeners, please look into the Hamilton news from the week of you know, November 22nd, November 29th. Oh my goodness. It's yeah. Well, cause I, I remember seeing that however long ago it was like in Toronto. Right. And I know mm-hmm. that like, I remember, you know, when, when I was in Brantford and like, I did have homeless um, clients like that were in encampments. Yeah. Like I remember them talking about the police coming in and what that was like. And, you know, it's, it's so disgusting. This is like the amount of money. So even if you just think about like an hour, that you know police would spend like going to those encampments or whatever like the amount of money that is spent towards their salaries for that single hour yeah. could literally house all of those individuals <laughs> for the night like so the red it just, tape oh. you know, it, it just it, it makes it makes no sense and like and and so that yeah not to like turn this too much on me because like i want to keep talking about the bridge yeah, for yeah. you but like for me that's why i can't i cannot deal with like the meso macro shit i can't because i get i get so pissed off yeah and i and i'm and that's where i feel helpless that's where i'm like so defeated whereas when i'm with that individual work i'm like okay here i know yeah i know that i can be the 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 sense of control 
yeah, like the, the stability, this one kind of model of a relationship here that can change your individual life. Yeah. So it's, it's awesome. Cause like, and this is, this is me going off, but like, I remember again, when you brought that to me, I was just like shocked. I'm like, how can, <laughs> how can someone not like therapy, <laughs> you know, I, I couldn't understand it, but like, it's so interesting talking with you about it now and, and you describing the this you know community level stuff that like right. just i hate like <laughs> i would not be able to be in it that's so interesting and so when i was at st leonard's i was like well shit, i got myself a social work degree so now what what can i do with this and yeah. i knew back then that public education because like i'm very interested in consent culture bystander intervention like yeah. violence against women and those kinds of things I knew that public education would work for me. So when they were saying, hey, we're going to incorporate the bridge and we're going to, this is going to affect the safer spaces program, which to remind the listeners is the LGBT inclusion training program. I was like, okay, like I'll jump on board. I got the time in the space when I was unemployed in the dark year. Um, so we ended up working on a weekly basis for like six months through the spring of 2021 on what it's going to look like to incorporate the bridge. And we kind of reached like a crisis moment where we decided that it's not sustainable. We do not have the human power to incorporate the bridge. Yeah. The bridge in itself is meant to be a grassroots collective. So we went back to our grant director and we said, hey, we want to make like the radical decision to leave the bridge as is, but we want to incorporate the safer spaces program. Yeah. And they, they gave us the thumbs up and it was like, it was all of us running. So I'm working with uh, two individuals. And so our group started at five and now it's the three of us and you need three people to be on the documentation in order to incorporate a program. So you yeah. have to be the directors essentially. Yeah. Um, so me and two other people are the directors trying to get this program up off the ground. Now I say up off the ground, but this programming has been around since the nineties and it's had solid roots in like the Brant and Brantford area yeah. since like 2010. Yeah. Um, so, you know, I'm not by no means am I starting this, but I'm definitely um, like helping out with with the project and getting it there. And I'm going to be one of the founding directors. Yeah. Um, and so we've rebranded and our new name is Workshop Building Safer Spaces Workshop with a Q. Yeah, I love that. Yeah. And the tagline Building Safer Spaces. We're working with a lawyer to get our articles of incorporation together. We're working nice. with a web designer to get all the logos. So like real deal, real life stuff is happening. Yeah. And I went through the facilitator training so I can actually deliver the content. Um, and so now I'm a workshop facilitator. And what we do is we go into workplaces, groups, government groups. We've offered trainings to the police um, and, you know, like clubs and things like that. And we offer basic LGBT inclusion training. So we have a 101, a 102, and a 103. The 101 very much just starts with this is what gender is. This is what sexuality is. These are the terms, yeah. language. Number two gets into more history, um, statistics, dates, and things like that. And then number three gets into like some localized research because one of the, the people that I'm working with, Christy Wildman, she did her own research in her master's with regards to LGBTQ access to service and what that looks like with regards to violence and microaggressions. Yeah. And we, we really dive into that research in the 103. And I've done about six trainings so far this fall because I'm very new as a facilitator and a director yeah. and, um, it is like what I'm totally meant to be doing like absolutely I love when I was at St. Leonard's I did facilitate a group and that was the highlight of my week like I love facilitating the steps to change group 
yeah, that's how I knew that group facilitation and kind of working a room like that was going to be my forte. And I've had a really, really good time facilitating some of the modules that I have facilitated. Yeah, and I think like even just like seeing you talk about it, like this is something that my uh, one of my supervisors told me, I guess like over a year ago now, and it's like stuck with me forever. Is like when you look at people and if they are like living in accordance with their values and what they care about, you can see this difference in like life and vitality. Yeah. So when you're talking about things that don't connect with your values, there's almost this sense of like kind of lifelessness like there's right. just a very low energy and as soon as you start talking about things that you do care about like talking about running these groups there's this quite literal change mm -hmm. in energy in yeah. you know in in like how you're speaking about it in what your body posture looks like in you know just that sense of like vitality and i can yeah. see it you know the, the difference in you talking about working with people individually versus like yeah, yeah. leading these groups and trainings, which are so unbelievably important. Like I know that I'm still, you know, I, I am a white cisgender female. I am, I grew up in Barrie, like, <laughs> you know, I I'm back in Barrie now, like as much as I, you know, I'm, I'm grateful for my, um, kind of culture shock of like going to McMaster and being in this yeah. like very <clears throat> diverse population, um, of students. Like I know that I still have a, disgusting level of you know racial and gender and sexuality sure. bias that don't we all you know that like needs to be dug up completely and you know it, it, it's it's kind of shocking that like even myself who is you know trained and educated and works in the like field of healthcare mm -hmm. can still be so kind of obtuse and ignorant about like a lot of things that you know people do experience and i remember when there was like the the safer spaces or now workshop training mm -hmm. um there like i was like oh my god i didn't know yes a lot of this right like which is which is crazy and so i know i know for certain that you know people who aren't in the healthcare yeah. field or who aren't in like the social services field are definitely going to it, not all of them, obviously, but like a huge percentage yeah. of the population is also going to be, you know, as ignorant, if not more ignorant than I was. Right. And that's yeah. fucking scary. These are service providers. Be, yeah, yeah. For people to just be walking around with like this complete lack of knowledge about these, uh, about populations of people that are, are at such a significantly higher risk. And with the 101 training, I thought when I first was reviewing the content, I'm like, oh, this is a little basic. Like, who doesn't know? Why are we defining lesbian? Who doesn't know what a lesbian is? Yeah. And uh, <laughs> the feedback I've received is people, people aren't familiar with all of this terminology. I think yeah. especially the gender piece, you know, people are pretty coming to terms with same gender relationships and things like that. But it's now the gender piece and non-binary and all of the pronouns that come with that. Right. Yeah. And when we're working with people in the social services, <clears throat> because it's the social services, it seems like they're meeting us with an open heart and an open mind. So yeah. now all we have to do is provide the education and the resources. And that is an excellent team to just hit the ground running. Right. Yeah. And, um, oh, there was something else I wanted to say. The, the reason why we're doing this is because if we can open up people's hearts and minds and offer them some of the education and some of the proper terminology and some resources to move forward with, we're hoping to, you know, 
decrease the amount of microaggressions that's happening, decrease the amount of violent, discriminatory, homophobia, biphobia, transphobia that's happening, right? Um, and in doing so, we're creating healthier and more thriving workplaces for the staff as well as for their service users that are going to be coming in and accessing services, right? So just using the basic terminology that would be expected of any public servant, right? That's why we're doing this work. Yeah, and it's it's so unbelievably valuable. And, and I think like, you know, it's not especially, but like in addition to those like social service programs, like, yeah. um, well, I guess like, you know, police would be like kind of, somewhat within that category I don't know. Uh, community uh, something or other yeah right like people that people that interact with the public i guess yeah. but you know like there is i think sometimes what can happen is like even when people do get like a base level understanding of mm -hmm. like the lgbtq community and um you know and, and whatever like they still just won't understand what their part is in making yeah. it better for them right so they'd be like okay well yeah you know like i've i've kind of learned a bit more about gender and whatever but like you know there's still like why would i hire you know someone who's yeah. trans or someone who's cis because like you you also like you don't have the diversity within your workplace which then makes it harder for you to yeah. see other you're not things, mirroring right? you're not mirroring reality yeah like i i remember having this discussion, I don't know if it was with my partner or, or someone else, but um, you know, I talked about like in my practice when I eventually take on a student, which I might do sometime next year. So, um, because I really like I do really love training. I want yeah. to, I want to be able to like guide students in a way that you know I didn't receive in the past. Oh yeah. Um, what but like <laughs> yeah, right. But but I also like so in doing that, I am I kind of want to like publicly advertise that like I want um, someone who isn't white or someone who's within the LGBTQ community. Right. Like, right. and whoever I was talking to about it, they were like, well, like, why? You know, like, why would you specifically yeah. look for that? And I'm like, yeah. well, because if I just put in a general thing, I know that I'm going to get, you know, a ton of white applicants. And yeah. that's great. And there will probably be ones within that that are great and i would connect with a ton yeah but i kind of don't want that i want someone that i want to connect with but i also know that like within my practice involved in psychotherapy there is also already a white cisgender female yeah coming from this perspective right and i think it's important to you know not only like for my own learning as well and my own enrichment of like having other perspectives and beliefs yep. working alongside me but more so for prospective clients like yeah you know I, you, for you, you and the practice yeah like you I, I don't want you to I mean like there are other practitioners out there but you know but within very like yeah. it's just massively white um and and I think that probably because of that people who aren't white or who aren't um you know cis heterosexual or whatever like mm -hmm. I think probably in Barry they face you know in yeah. the higher realm of like those discrimination stats yeah so i want to specifically look for that and, I, and i'm a little bit like that's you know something for me to do in the future but i'm a little bit worried about what that's gonna look like you know because there's still 
because I have all of this like deep rooted biases, like I, I do really try and like, you know, think about how I put stuff out there to make sure that it isn't like a covertly, you know, racist or sexist or whatever question. But at the same time, like, I don't always know. And I don't want people to feel responsible for educating me, (laughs) but I want to put this out there and be like, I don't want someone who's white. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Good luck. That'll put a target on your back. Oh my God. Right. Yeah. Like, yeah. So I won't phrase it that way, but it's, (laughs) you can tell that you're mindful and you're knowledgeable on the subject and you're willing to meet people halfway and saying, Hey, I got a lot of work to do, Um, but I can provide a safe space or a safer space. We don't necessarily say safe space because safety is subjective. And how do we achieve ultimate safety across the board, but you can provide a safer space for a racialized youth or a queer youth or indigenous queer youth to kind of find their place in the psychotherapy realm. Right. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Well, I, so I want to be mindful of time because I want to kind of bring us to the end, but, um, and I didn't mean to like pull away from, from the, yeah, like what you guys are doing and again, like how important it is. And I think like, yeah, people just, in general, people just need to understand that like they they do have to put in the work. You do need yeah. to educate yourself yeah. and it is your personal and like communal responsibility to yeah. become more educated, to challenge yourself on, you know, on all of these b- bullshit biases that we've been raised with, right? And that's um, what we say in workshop is, you know, awesome. You did the three trainings, but the work doesn't stop here. You don't just get no. to check the boxes. It's a lifelong commitment. And that's hard to sell to people, but I just tell them, take it easy. Keep doing your readings one step at a time. Yeah. Yeah. And there's like a level of, of self-compassion that's needed in any form of like self-improvement. Right. Is that like, cause I remember, you know, I remember after those trainings, I was like, man, there's so (laughs) much, there's, I I'm, I'm doing so much wrong and yeah. Oh yeah. I need to become like the best ally I can yeah. within the next week. And I was like, oh, wow. Okay. Yeah. Like it, it, I put so much pressure on myself and, um, you know, I, I'm, I've now like really tried to take a step back and recognize yeah. my own capacity for, for self-improvement. Cause I know like how deeply I can throw myself into that. Yes. And it, Nobody wants to be offensive. Nobody wants to hurt anybody's feelings. Everyone wants to be perfect with the terminology, right? It's not realistic. All we're trying to get across the board with workshop is to, you know, be mindful and be compassionate when you interact with others. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And like, you know, there's you to the point you just made, you will make mistakes. Oh, absolutely. Just just immediately correct it and move on. Like moving. Yeah. And you know, like it, it doesn't need to be this huge ordeal where you're yeah. suddenly asking the other person to make you feel better about the mistake that oh you just made. <laughs> That's like the yeah. worst thing you can do. Like, you know, correct whatever, you know, pronoun you, you just miscorrectly used or like correct whatever it yeah. is that you just did and carry through because they are more than just, yeah. you know, that, that issue that you just created. You're very knowledgeable on this topic. I, I have the highest regard with you working with the public. I, I appreciate that. And and I've, again, like I've, I've tried really, really hard and I do continuously try. Right. And, and I think like, you know, probably something that's pushed me more into that is that, um, because I've taken on younger clients, like within this, you know, 10 to 15 range, that's cool. um, 
it's yeah, it's awesome. And there are just like a lot more clients that I'm um, connecting with who are trans, who are non-binary, who are asexual, you know, and and, yeah. And I'm like, awesome. Like I I, I love this. (laughs) To be celebrated. Absolutely. And that's the huge paradigm shift. It's not, oh shit. Oh fuck. Life's going to be so hard. No, hell fucking yeah. You're asexual. Yeah. Right. And you know, and I've like part of, part of what I work on, I guess, consistently is like, you know, neutrality towards a lot of things. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, I'm, when, when they brought that forward, like, you know, I, I had a client recently disclose, um, to me that they were non-binary and, you know, it was just like, I, you know, I'm, I'm really appreciative that you feel safe enough to say that here. And, you know, it, it wasn't like a, Oh man. Yeah. You know, like, like this huge, wow you're you're one of those it was just like you know i get to check another box (laughs) yeah right awesome i'm I'm super glad that you feel safe to to say that here you know and and then they felt comfortable enough talking about the you know the people in their life that hadn't been that welcoming and then i know that my role is to be is to normalize it is to be like this is not this is not a other component of you right this is this is a crucial part of who you are. And, and you never know where they're at with their identity. So if you yeah. jump for joy and they're not jumping for joy yet, like exactly. that pregnancy piece, you don't say congratulations right away as a practitioner. Exactly. Yeah. So there's just, um, yeah, I, I, I've been really, really grateful like this year in particular to, to have, I guess, like widened the breadth of people that I do work with. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm really grateful that like those particular individuals have connected with me and, um, you know, to, to force me to, again, like keep kind of tracking myself, keep growing and all that. Is there, I guess like any last words or like comments or things that you want to put out there either about the work you're doing with, um, with workshop and the bridge or around that in general? Mm -hmm. Two things. Um, so the, the workshop piece that I'm doing, that is my passion. That is my future. Um, but right now for money, what I'm doing is I'm working admin at a children's mental health facility. And it is glorious being on the admin team, just yes. observing the clinical team. It is just so fascinating seeing both yeah. sides. And what I will say with these people, these clinicians that are working with children, I mean, like seven years old, the CBT and the DBT is going to work with those kids. And it is, it's, it's getting it in at a really good time. And it's going to make such a radical shift probably for some of those kids so that perhaps they're not, you know, the most complex needs 40 years down the line in the addiction counselor seat. You know what I'm saying? Like watching the youth interacting with clinical psychotherapy has been, has really shifted my perception of, well, fuck psychotherapy. Like it really has, but you know, time and place, right? These kids have parents that provide for them. They have housing, they have school, they have stability to an extent. Um, so yeah, I'll, I'll say that piece that I'm not just like, you know, death to psychotherapy. Uh, yeah. Secondly, um, keep your eyes out listeners for workshop W O R Q S H O P, uh, building safer spaces. We are going to be launching our new website probably in the new year. And we offer LGBTQ inclusion, uh, you know, inclusion training. So hit us up. Yeah, I um I'm not gonna release this until January, anyways, because I'm taking oh, cool. yeah. So um 
Yes. Happy New Year, everyone. <laughs> yeah, well, welcome to 2022. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> but uh, so hopefully at that time, whenever I, I release it, I'll be able to include like that web link cool. in the description. Cool. Yeah. All right. Nice. Cool. Well, thank you for uh, coming on here and yep. chit-chatting and sharing your your stories about, uh, you know, <laughs> hating My psychotherapy story. and then, and then the yeah. Um, and uh, to all listeners, I will catch you guys on another episode of The Fight With Our Feelings. Thanks so yep. much. Bye, everyone.